I have a theory. The evangelical and fundamentalist church's staunchly held belief in the infallibility of the Bible is responsible for our descent into Trumpism and conspiracy theories. Let me explain. And I have been searching. Welcome to Following the Fire. Thanks for joining us on this journey through the wilderness. Just like Israel followed the pillar of fire and smoke, we want to take a new look at our beliefs and just follow him. And like Israel, we get it wrong a lot, we get lost a lot, but we're doing our best to to go where God leads us. I'm Nathan. And I'm Steve. Don't you know it's all I have? So Nathan and I were going to take this week off since we both kind of needed a break. But I have a confession to make. I have been watching a lot of TikToks. I know, I know. I didn't think it would come to this either, but turns out it's for more than starting stupid trends like stealing things from schools and eating Tide Pods. There's actually quite a bit of activity around the deconstruction world on TikTok and a surprising number of uh, actual scholars who are sharing information. And that, along with several other things that I've been reading and listening to lately, have really got me thinking about something specific about the, I will say, the evangelical modern concept of the Bible in general. Now, growing up, I was told that the Bible was inerrant, infallible, and authoritative, the Word of God. Uh, the implication being that if anything came up in life that was different from our pre-agreed-upon understanding of scriptures, then that thing was de facto incorrect and in some cases dangerous. And this concept of infallibility of the Bible I believe, stay with me here, I believe it has really messed us up as Christians in America. The concept of biblical inerrancy is not as old as you might think. Christianity overall didn't have this commonly shared idea until after the Reformation in the 16th and 17th century. Before that time, they were largely concerned with what we would term as one's relationship with God, how you interacted with God, the personal thing, the personal aspect of it. But the Reformation brought with it the Age of Enlightenment, as we call it, in which Western Christianity became way more concerned with being right. The Age of Enlightenment brought with it the scientific method, research, and knowing things was suddenly super important to the Western world. And with the primary concern of being who's right, people started wondering, is the Bible right? And because of that, the pushback against this questioning, the idea of the Bible never being wrong in any way, shape, or form, worked its way into our theology. Because if the Bible isn't 100% right... And what leg do we have to stand on? And it pushed back extra hard when things like evolution came along, because some people seemed to think that people seemed to think that once we had scientific hard re- realizations of how things were done, and they seemed to dis- disagree with the Bible, specifically evolution and creation, then the Bible could be thrown out. And we didn't need religion anymore. That's really sad to think that. But instead of trying to figure out how those things might work together. Christianity, in the West anyway, just pushed back harder and said, science is wrong, the Bible is right. So infallibility and inerrancy of Scripture is problematic from the start, and I'll save a lot of that for another day, but things like the unavoidable issue that even if the words are completely infallible, the interpretation has to be done by imperfect humans, which leads to 
different interpretations and ambiguous understandings. So how can we really know what it's supposed to mean? Which to me leaves room for lots of grace and lots of patience with each other and maybe a different approach to how we uh, uh, approach the Bible. And if it needs to be followed through as inerrant, why did God allow it to be so confusing and to lead to multiple somehow, sometimes opposite interpretations? As another friend of the show, Brad Risley, put it, ambiguity leads to abuses that could be attenuated by clear communication from an omnipotent deity. It's also problematic that God neither confirms nor denies the veracity of any interpretation. The correctness is ultimately determined by humans. He's got a good point. Because when it comes down to it, our concept of infallibility and, and inerrancy of Scripture really comes down to our, our belief that our interpretation is infallible and inerrant. And I know some people will say, well, it's actually the Scripture that is, and people are, are imperfect, and they may interpret it the wrong way. Well, that's absolutely true. And, but that kind of proves my point even more. If, if, that's the fa- if that's the case, why are we willing to damage people's lives, show hate, and sow discord over things that may be, imp- that may be incorrect, that we maybe got wrong? Because we are not infallible. Think of it this way. What else in the Christian world is infallible, inerrant, and authoritative? Think of it for a second. Yeah. The only thing I can think of besides the Bible that we say is infallible and inerrant and authoritative is God himself. That's it. Everything else in the, in the entire process and the equation and the entire equation is prone to error. So what happens when you place that level of honor and obedience on a text? That text, in a way, then becomes a stand-in for having God among us. Jesus isn't here, but we got this physical thing we call the Bible, and that, in many ways, that book becomes God. I remember my grandfather telling me that the Holy Spirit actually is the Word of God itself, or he at one time believed that anyway. That we, when we were baptized and, quote, received the gift of the Holy Spirit— that just meant that we have been given a miraculous ability to understand the texts in the Bible. And I've mentioned before how dedicated and almost obsessed he was with the Bible study and Bible knowledge. And I realized many years later that I think what he was trying to do was get more of the Holy Spirit in him. The, the more Bible in your brain, the more spirit in your body. And my grandpa was not alone in this. A lot of people who kind of pushed back against the Pentecostal and the charismatic movement, um, in, in the last couple centuries, they really they pushed back so hard that they became convinced that the Holy Spirit does not actually act in the world. There is no actual connection other than the Bible, that the Bible is the Spirit. So when you elevate a book or a set of books to this godly level of importance, the worship can quickly and seamlessly become focused on that thing as a substitute for God. And Nathan and I have talked before about how in the church that we grew up in, it seems to have this concept of like almost worshiping the Bible. It's so highly venerated that saying anything bad against the, the Bible is, it's heresy. And I actually, I think I had, a, we've lost a lot of listeners the second or third episode when I said I want to talk a little bit about this. But obviously worshiping a book is not what any Christian believes that they're doing, let's be honest, though. When you elevate something to that level of importance, it's basically worship. And that's not what I believe we need to be doing. 
So you have this book that contains, quote, zero errors, zero internal or external discrepancies, and in general, just zero mistakes overall. Then say a scientist comes along and says, hey, we have irrefutable proof that the world is billions of years old. Or, you know, the consensus in the scholarly world is actually that First and Second Timothy and Titus were not written by Paul, but were written by someone else a few centuries later, and they put his name on it to give it more gravity. Or they say, historically, the God of the Israelites was actually initially named El, and they later shifted it to Yahweh after another group of people moved in from the south, and somebody else became the king. The Bible never tells us that homosexual relationships are wrong. The book of Revelation almost didn't make it into the Bible at all. Job was not a real person. Isaiah was written by multiple authors in different rare eras. The Bible is so ancient in some places that we have no clue how to translate some of it. Or it's extremely doubtful that Abraham was a real person, or that Moses did not write the Pentateuch, or that John was not written by John. Or I mean, I could go on. So you hear those things, and if the Bible is infallible, what's that kind of thing going to do to you? Well, both sides can't be right. So you experience this thing you've probably heard of called cognitive dissonance, the inability to hold two conflicting ideas in your mind at once. And it's an uncomfortable situation. It's not a fun place to be. And what humans tend to do when we have that cognitive dissonance is to quickly sort it out and pick one side or the other. Holding two sides of of truth in your head at once is not fun. So for some of us, so much of our lives have been so crafted around the words in this book that even the possibility of any kind of mix-up, mistake, or alteration to the text, or if anyone says anything counter to what we believed about it, almost physically hurts us to hear it. Because like I said, we're essentially worshiping that thing. See, there's a part of your brain called the insula. It's, it's like a small region in the cerebral cortex, look, kind of located kind of on the side of your head. And it has a lot to do with your awareness of the world and your emotional responses to things. And when you believe a thing or think a, way, a certain way for a long time, your brain actually makes neural pathways to match that thought process in your head or, or that belief that you hold. And it's actually one reason we encourage kids to our kids to think positively about things. If you see a situation, think the positive aspect of it, not the negative. Because the more you think negative, the more you train the neural pathways, you train your brain to be negative, and then everything kind of all follows those pre-eroded pathways, just like a river would follow the erosion path instead of where maybe you want it to go. So when those neural pathways are crossed or disturbed, the insula part of your brain can react pretty strongly. And it's, it's the reason that when you take a bite of nasty food, you, you gag and you just can't stand it. Or you smell something gross, like the, the, your face kind of curls up and you might puke maybe. And it's the reason that, for example, some of us who grew up as perfect non-cussing children can feel such a strong emotional response when somebody cusses around us, especially in an unexpected setting. It'd be like sitting in church during a sermon and the preacher is up there holding his Bible and he drops it and he goes, screams, mother <laughs> That word's going to hit your brain and make you recoil and in some cases even get nauseous. Not just because that word is solidly in the pathway of never say that thing, but the timing of it in church just doubles down on the response. So it's that same part of your brain which gets involved in your response when, you re- when religious and or spiritual concepts that you are 110% certain of are challenged. Our knee-jerk response is to react with shock, fear, confusion, and strong desire to shut down whatever it is that makes you feel those things to get rid of that cognitive dissonance. 
So now imagine that you've lived your entire life with the concept in your head and mind that no matter what, I mean no matter what, the Bible is 100% true and mistake-free at all times. So when you went to biology class in school and heard about evolution over millions of years, you rejected his science behind that claim because, quote, the Bible says God made it in seven days, period. Or when you heard people say that scientists have discovered that there is a real biological connection to being gay and it's therefore not a choice, you rejected that notion because 1 Corinthians 14 says it's a sin and sins are choices. And you rejected all kinds of things when when that cognitive dissonance hit you, regardless if they have clearly been shown to be true by real science, art, history, archaeology, etc. Essentially, you've gone your whole life believing that if it contradicts scripture, ignore it. It's wrong. It's dangerous. That is some pretty solid neural pathway construction and some pretty solid habits being formed. So what this is, is a very simplistic black and white view of the world. My interpretation of the Bible is right, all else is wrong, and rejected out of hand. And it's honestly a very easy way to go through life. It's very comforting. It requires next to no cognitive load, no struggle with warring concepts, no sleepless nights, no paying attention to new information. And that's really attractive, especially in a world with so much information and data flying out at our faces at an ever-increasing pace. To have a two-column rubric against which to judge everything, that's kind of comforting. It's easy. But then the real world hits. The real world is not as black and white as we would like it to be. There are concepts that just don't fit into right and wrong framework. There are people who don't fit into the binary structure of society. Things happen to you, to others, to the world that do not have a simple yes or no answer. And so what do you do? Well, you probably start by doing the comfortable thing. We either figure out how to squeeze those nuanced, complicated realities into a binary construct, or you follow someone who have, provides that construct for you. And before you know it, you're back to a place of cognitive comfort. Everything is good or bad, right or wrong, black and white, male or female. Not just because it's comfortable, but it's comfortable because we've trained our brains to think of the world in this way. And that is our framework, our lens for looking at everything. Is it agree with my biblical interpretation or does it not? Regardless of any other kind of information that there might be. And this is what I mean by our insistence on the inerrancy of the Bible has messed us up. We've trained our neural pathways to only be comfortable with yes or no, based on my preconceived notions of what is yes or no, or right or wrong. So, a candidate comes along, projecting an air of, I got this. Lots of confidence. He's saying he's on your side. And he's presenting a very clear us-versus-them narrative. We are right, they are wrong. There is no gray. And all that fits, all that fits our preconceived notions. And we look at the confusing, complicated, nuanced, mostly gray world, and hey, this guy makes it all make sense. He agrees with my black and white view on abortion, gay people, or those pesky immigrants. Let's follow him. Then begins the work of confirming the decision we just made. Because what did we do? We, a group of dedicated Christians, have just decided to follow a guy 
who has multiple marriages, hired prostitutes, assaulted women, made overtly racist statements, is widely known as a shady businessman, and I could go on. All in all, a person who reflects zero Christian values. Enter good old cognitive dissonance once again. And hey, we gotta get rid of it, right? Not comfortable. So we look for sources of information to confirm our decision to follow this guy. Turns out, there are suddenly a lot of them. Forums, Facebook posts, Fox News, all of them providing the narrative we want to hear to comfort our minds. So we turn them up and turn down everything else. And it feels so good to listen to the things telling me I did a good thing voting for an evil man, regardless of how crazy or insane those things sound. Because guess what I found out? My guy may be a horrible person, but did you know that the other side is literally drinking baby blood and running a child sex ring? I mean, dig up all the dirt you want on my guy. There is nothing worse than that. And I think that that's how we ended up where we are. I mean, there's a lot more to it. There's a lot of nuances. I keep saying there's nuances, but there's nuances on top of nuances when you're dealing with an entire country full of people. But here's the bottom line. I think that the American church's insistence on holding fast to the belief that the Bible is completely inerrant and infallible and mistake-free, despite the fact that so much of it has been shown to be problematic, changed, altered, etc., that has trained our minds to be comfortable and okay with believing something is always right and always true, despite evidence to the contrary. So political gal on TV says something crazy and we believe it. Why? Because why do I need information? I know what I have believed and I am not persuaded to change because that would bring more cognitive dissonance. So I just accept it, ignore the facts, and move on. Or some dude on the internet says that getting the vaccine for COVID is going to put a microchip in your arm, and it makes you magnetic, and Bill Gates is going to track you, and insert any ridiculously insane idea, and I'm going to believe it. Why would I believe it? Because I've already made up my mind. I'm used to believing things because I've always believed them and ignoring the facts and ignoring anything counter to what I already believe, just like we tend to do with the Bible. And I think that we need to take another look. So what do we do? Well, I think we train our minds, first of all, to be comfortable and even welcome new ideas and change. I mean, that's kind of what being open-minded is all about, and I think we should strive for that. We should challenge our notions. We should look at how we've always believed, and we should see if that holds up under scrutiny. Not just in the realm of faith, but in all areas of our lives. Like I said earlier, my purpose right now is not to delve into the complexities of the inerrancy of the Bible or or not. I just want us to, I just want to encourage you guys to think through how you think through things. When a new idea comes to you, what do you do with it? I think we need to resist the urge to just judge it right or wrong out of hand. 
if someone if if you read somebody has a wacky idea about something in the Bible or in the world, take a second, think it through, do some research on it, learn about it, talk to people who are living that kind of a life, talk to people who've experienced whatever you're talking about. There are lots of sources of information and forcing everything into a biblical right or wrong I think is really missing the point. And it's really led to this place where the evangelical church in America is full of people who are at the root of it just wanting to get rid of the cognitive dissonance and they want someone to explain it for them so they can move on with their lives. And we've become susceptible to conspiracy theories, idiots like Trump. And I just, I, it's got to stop. But it's only going to stop if we can rethink how we think. So I hope that made sense to you guys. Uh, there's a lot more on this topic. Obviously, there's a lot more nuances around scripture, uh, around truth, uh, etc. We'll, we'll try to tackle those another time. In the meantime, please shoot me questions if you have any questions. Uh, hey Steve Martin on Twitter. You can shoot me an email at followingthefirepodcast at gmail.com. Go to the website and there's a contact form there. But I hope you guys have a fantastic week and we'll see you next time. I had been screaming these messages I thought you wanted to hear But it only takes a whisper Hey, thanks for listening to Following the Fire. If you'd like to see show notes for this episode, which includes links to everything we mentioned as well as all the scriptures, head on over to followingthefire.com and just click on this episode. There's also contact information on the website. Let us know what you think about the show and if you have any suggestions for future topics. Also, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts if you could. It really helps other folks find the show. And as always, thanks to the fabulous Daniel Wheat for the theme song and the music for the episode. You can find more of his stuff on Apple Music and Spotify. See you later. Follow the fire.